Welcome to My SoCast Life, the show where we read our real-life diaries while re-watching that diary of our souls, my so-called life. My name is Matt Brown. My name is Katerina Grigorievich. Holy shit, you did, did I, the whole thing. Have I ever done that on the show before? I don't think I've ever heard you say your whole last name. <laughs> like, you know, we all we all just call you Cat G. I mean, that's what we do. fair that's, enough. That's what you call yourself. It's true. Um, yeah, well, the pronunciation is, is lovely, and, and it moves in a way that I was not entirely expecting. So that was very nice. Uh, yeah, Today we will be discussing the episode called Betrayal, which aired on January 12th, 1995. And as is our normal Ken, we will also be reading from our own diaries, embarrassing as that may be, at the tail end of that process. Mm-hmm. Before we get to that, though, we should remind you that uh, we do have a live event coming up. So we have a few more episodes of the show as you know it, and then we are going to... F- kill it with basically this big grand finale episode at the Royal Cinema here in Toronto, which will also serve as a book launch for Soraya Roberts' uh, book of my so-called life essays, which is called In My Humble Opinion. I've read it twice, and it's great. It is terrific. Um, so but that is on October 22nd. Join us on October 22nd. Yep. Um, and you, look, can, you can buy tickets in advance. You yep. can go to the Facebook event page. You can go to our Twitter feed and find the event there, and we will uh, see you all in October. We will insistently see you then. We, we, As far as we're concerned, if you're listening to this and you're within like a 500, say, kilometer driving distance of Toronto, you, have no... you owe it to yourself and to us to be there. Exactly. You know, what else? You, it's a Saturday night. It's my so-called life. There will probably be booze. The, I, I guarantee it. <laughs> <laughs> Put it out there right now. I guarantee it. Um, so... Obviously, there are a great number of moments in my so-called life which are very popular, which people know about. We've certainly spoken about lines that people remember that I've used in my own life frequently, that you've used, things like that. Mm -hmm. But is there any moment as iconic as Angela Chase waking up and dancing to Blister in the Sun because she's over Jordan Catalano? It's so great. Yeah. It's the best. Yeah. Now, I mean, I... This is, I will go on the record and just say, like, this is one of those episodes that is. <laughs> I love all episodes of my so called life, so it's not like I don't have, I don't have really a least favorite, you know, like I like them all, but this isn't one of the ones that ever really made a huge impression on me. And I have to admit that the, the vehemence with which the blister in the sun scene took hold, it surprised me because I didn't really see that as a, a big deal. But now it's almost impossible to divorce your image of the show from this transcendent minute and a half of improvised dancing from from claire danes it's so good yeah Yeah. so good yeah and and just totally unself-conscious teenage girl bedroom dancing like in like a baseball tee and boxer shorts which is also like a perfect 90s teenage girl sleeping outfit yeah uh i don't know is this still a thing because when i was a teenager for sure it was a thing for girls to wear boxer shorts like men's boxers. I would have to assume my last partner certainly did all the time, but I guess she would have been a teenager around the same time frame, so maybe she just picked it up then. Um, <laughs> I, I, do women who were not teenagers yeah, in okay. the 90s let's, do this? Let's I have roll no this idea. question back, because your question was, was quite clear, and yet I fucked it up. Do people who are currently teenagers wear boxers? And, and another question is, um, do people who are currently teenagers, uh, females particularly, just dance around wildly in their room with the door closed? Because I didn't know that was a real thing until my my girlfriend at the time told me that was a thing. Oh, totally a real thing. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm sure that that is a thing that all, all teenage girls in all eras have done since recorded music. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. So it's not just, you know, 
iconic for the show. It is actually, I think, also maybe one of the most beautiful expressions of that moment um, when you, for whatever reason, realize that whoever it is that you've been just heartbroken about, you don't actually feel that pain anymore. It's just gone. And and in real life, folks, you know, and it will certainly be true for Angela here as well, but in real life, that's not really an A, B, yes or no process. You can wake up one morning feeling fine and still be wrecked a week later. For totally sure. normal. But I do love that, you know, the, she says it, it was that moment that Jordan was surgically removed from my heart and I was free. And that's exactly what that feels like. You know, that thing where it's like, oh yeah, that wound doesn't hurt anymore. Yeah. It's not there. I can move normally. It's like, it really is like when you recover from a muscle strain or something and you're yeah. like, oh shit, my back like- doesn't hurt anymore. I can dance. <laughs> Yay. And then she literally does, which is beautiful. Uh, so at school, first of all, Abyssinia is back. I love her. I wish she had more things to do. Oh, I love her so much. Yeah. She's she great. She is wonderful. Yep. And they are doing Our Town at school as a play. Did they ever do Our Town at your school? They did not, and I am still, to this day, sort of unfamiliar with what Our Town actually is. Like, I guess Same I know here. the basic framework of the idea. But Did your school have, like, a school show every year? Yes. Like, a big play or whatever? Oh, boy, did we ever. What uh, What were some of the hits of well, your high school years? When I came to the school the first year, they did the Fantastics. So that gives you the idea of what the drama regime, when I entered North Toronto, was doing which is you know they probably would have gotten around to our town had it lasted but then when i was about halfway through new drama teacher took over i think i've spoken about her in the past and for my final year in drama which was the year before my so-called life aired she had the entire group crowd write an adaptation of the myth of isis and osiris and that is what we did that sounds kind of on the same level of grandiose and crazy ambition as my final year of high school oh, school tell me, show. Oh, tell me more. Which was also a student and teacher-led workshopped written uh, adaptation of Karl Orff's Carmina Burana. Holy shit. <laughs> which is not a play. It is a piece of music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a piece of music with some narrative elements to to the songs but they they were disregarded that like the uh-huh. play was invented from scratch and it was an insane epic i worked on building the sets uh and we ne- we built balconies to hold a 50 person choir in <laughs> the or a hundred person choir, maybe wow. it was like we needed to to build like the the sort of wings like off to the side of the stage on either side could hold twenty five people each, but we needed them to hold fifty people each yep. to hold the full choir. So we needed to build like a platform level, which seems dangerous to me now that like anyone trusted us to build something sturdy enough for there to be students underneath it. Terrifying. Mm-hmm. But anyway, there was like a massive orchestra we my school had a big auditorium with a proper orchestra pit so there was like a big orchestra in the pit there was like this hundred person choir there were a ton of dancers there were a ton of actors we built uh, a 10 foot high rotating head of the statue of liberty wow we built a like 12 foot tall aztec woman like down on one knee and holding a bag of grain or something on her head and there was a ladder leading up to her mouth extra and wow there was like a, a lever behind her that you could pull in her arms would kind of lift the bag of grain off of her head a little bit 
but the ladder was like people like dancers climbed up the ladder and put things into her mouth uh there was like a tree that we built that a bunch of dancers could hide inside and then spring out it was insane that's insane it was epic and crazy and i wish that i had a videotape of it because i feel like it is too crazy to for me to even contain it in my memory but it was really quite something well i (laughs) my school alternated uh between like a a regular poppy musical and then something a little bit more artsy on alternate years so there Mm -hmm. was like one year was greece and then the next year was alice a rock opera (laughs) and the next year was like midsummer night's dream and then the next year was carmina barana that's amazing crazy and for anyone who's listening to this who's not familiar with the piece of music just google it and that the first like piece of this yeah, multi-piece thing you you know it there's you know no it. way you haven't heard it yep. you've heard it a thousand times our um experiences are actually quite similar except of course at north toronto our ambitions were somewhat less so we also had a giant head but it did not rotate um and we uh all of our lack of ambition however can be solved by the fact that in our play isis was played by the very popular Torontonian novelist Sheila Hetty, who was in my class, nice. uh, yeah, who was a wonderful person. So, and also, we also don't have a videotape of ours like that, which it's my really friend Amanda laments to this day that that there was a tape of it and it was apparently taped over by the teacher or something like that. Like oh, it's like man. we had this insane thing where all of us sort of, you know, went mad, went apocalypse now level crazy for six months putting this play on, and there's no record of it, which is probably for the best. I uh, I remember that. Uh for Alice, a rock opera, the Queen of Hearts was played by uh, Globe and Mail columnist Leah McLaren. No in, kidding. In my school. <laughs> Fantastic. People who go. went on to do things. It's all good. Uh, so Rayanne is being pressured to audition by her friends, um, by Ricky and, and Angela. And Rayanne, to do uh, Emily, the character she's auditioning for, she basically just does an impression of Angela. Uh, and there will be, there's a lot of very interesting trade about in this episode about between Rayanne and Angela, between Rayanne's opinions of and other people's opinions of Angela as this very innocent, wide, starry-eyed girl, um, and obviously the well-established reputation of Rayanne as a sexually promiscuous, uh, tough girl, and mm-hmm. they will literally trade identities in this in this episode at various points. So it's it's interesting to watch this begin. I will say before we start, though, uh, bless her, uh, and I know she's a duchess now. But but AJ Langer's impression of Claire Danes is nowhere near as good as Danielle's. Uh, like it's good, <laughs> but it's not even in the ballpark of how good Danielle's was in the Halloween episode. <laughs> that is very true. Yeah, she had the stance, she had the body language, she had the the lilt to the the, the delivery of words. Um, so yeah. So meanwhile, while uh, Rayanne's been off pretending to be Angela, uh, Ray, uh, Angela has had a sexual dream about Corey Halfrick. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's interesting too. So Angela, did, last week we had we had Sharon starting to discover a sense of lust, and now I guess Angela is starting to have similar random one-off hormonal incidents that do not relate to Jordan Catalano, which is a first. That's for a her. significant, yeah. So it, would would we think that the reason that Angela woke up and re- thought she was over Jordan is that she just that she had this dream that like if her brain was capable of processing erotic thoughts about anyone other than Jordan, it must therefore mean that he, she's over him? Is that the thought process? Maybe. That actually doesn't seem implausible to me. No. Yeah. No. I, um, I, so, meanwhile, Brian is running around videotaping everything because he's going to do a school yearbook of some kind. This is obviously very plot-motivated, and Angela is flirting with 
Corey in full view of Jordan, which immediately should tell us, the viewer, if not her, the person, that she's not actually over Jordan at all, that she's really just still pissed at him and is trying to hurt him. Indeed. Which, by the way, is working. Yeah, shockingly. Yeah. It is working. Yeah. He is kind of upset and perhaps a bit jealous. Yeah. So building on what we were talking about with Jordan last week, like Jordan really does seem to have figured out on some level, probably not an entirely conscious one because he is still pretty dumb, but figured out on some level that he's, I mean, as much as Jordan could be in love with Angela. Like, yeah, there's something going on here that is not just, you know, I want to be, it's certainly not, I just, I want to have sex with her, you know, and it's not even, I think I have a crush on her. Like he's emotionally dependent on her in some way. Real feelings. Yeah. 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 Um, so we, everything kind of, the first act comes to a head at this, at this bar where Sharon has dispatched Brian to get some shots of the teenagers hanging out at a bar, whatever. Um, so we have what I call the Brian Witch Project over at the bar. Um, is this bar like the, uh, oh my God, I can't believe I can't. The bronze? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yep. I, I can't believe I blanked on the name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But is that what it is? Is I it guess. like this weird all ages bar where everyone yeah. goes to hang out that doesn't exist in real life anywhere that I'm aware of? Well, I mean, I will say that when I was in high school, if we wanted to go and shoot pool, which a lot of the characters here are doing, mm-hmm. there were places we could do that around uh, my high school, which we would sometimes do. And, you know, we would not be served alcohol, obviously, but. We could go there. We wouldn't be not allowed to be there. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, when I was in high school, we certainly were allowed to be in bars. We just wouldn't get served alcohol. And there was a dance club on Richmond uh, that some kids from my school went to sometimes that had an all-ages night, like, once in a while. Right. Can't remember what the club was. Actually, it might have been the Joker. Was it the Joker? Just Could to tie been. it all back into Jared Leto? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, not, yes. The... But anyway, there. So there were. I guess there were all ages events, and there. And certainly, you were not banned from being in a yeah. establishment that served alcohol. So okay, maybe it's not that crazy that the kids are all hanging out at yep. a bar. Although it's a little bit crazy. Like I feel like if I was a bar owner, would I want thirty teenagers in my bar every day, just hanging around, like drinking two dollar pop? Like yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe like... that's all he gets, right? I mean, we 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 see that. Uh, Jordan has and Rayanne, I guess, have both snuck in alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, so there must be some level of security around not letting the teenagers drink in the bar. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't see what the appeal is. Besides, it's obviously one of those television moments where, for whatever reason, we've never heard of this place before. But all of the it's where everyone every, hangs out. Everyone's there hanging out. If you're gonna make a video, yeah. that's where you go. Yeah, absolutely. So. Baby's back. So uh, Rayanne and Jordan are drunk, like capital D, capital R, drunk. They are sig- significantly hammered, and they are both dealing with their stuff. Yeah, and now, their stuff is mostly Angela. Yeah, but which is so? I mean, I get why Jordan is hung up on Angela. So they go outside to 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 share hooch because, like I said, they just neither of them. They both snuck in booze. So mm-hmm. they're out by Red, the car, uh, sharing some sweet hooch. Sweet Red. Yeah, Sweet Red. And and I get why Jordan is really miserable, because he 
in love with Angela and he can't be with her and he doesn't get it and he basically doesn't have the ability to deal with this problem because he's never had to before. Yeah, like he fucked it up for himself and didn't realize that he was fucking it up until it was too late and now he's bummed about it and he doesn't entirely understand how he got into this mess. Yeah. Meanwhile, though, uh, I don't know if I understand why Rayanne is all hung up about Angela right now. You know, like, other than we know Rayanne's been in a bit of a tailspin for the last few episodes. She's been in a bit of a tailspin, and I guess they've been growing apart and not hanging out together as much. And there was, like, a few episodes ago, there was a bit of a, hey, I never see you anymore kind of storyline that has been dropped since, but I guess could still actually be happening in there. Yeah, because they do seem, for the most part, to be okay at this point, you know? Yeah, like, they're not, their friendship doesn't seem strained. Right, but maybe it just never went back to normal after Yeah, after the, the, the closeness of the early days yeah. was not recaptured, I guess. Right, but so in, in and, and obviously she's also fallen off the wagon and she's drinking again, and, so, and she's, again, impressively inebriated here. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, um, to deal with their mutual problems, Jordan just wants to have some sex, and that's fine. That's what people do, decides to have it with Rayanne. I'm not really clear if that is sort of a surrogate Angela thing for him. Like, I can't have Angela, but I can have her friend. Like, I I don't think he's so stupid that he doesn't understand the enormous emotional complexity to come if he couples with Angela Chase's best friend. Yeah, I I think that both of them are aware of how much terrible fallout there will be from this yeah. event if anyone should ever find out about it. Yeah. I think that they are choosing to ignore that reality because they're drunk. Yeah, oh yeah. But they're not so drunk that they don't realize how shitty it will get. <laughs> right. And, uh, and and I think that for Rayanne, it's just part of her self-destructive streak, right? Like she does things that are bad for her. Mm-hmm on all kinds of levels and she might want to be a surrogate Angela and she might let herself be that in the moment, but she also knows that it could result in the end of her friendship with Angela and she does it anyway because she ultimately doesn't believe that she even deserves friends that good. So it's like, I don't think anyone's unaware of what they're doing, but I think that they're making those decisions for, bad reasons that are part of their kind of general fucked upness. Yeah. I mean, I find the surrogate Angela-ness very interesting. I find, I mean, this episode, when you start to parse it out, like there's very little that's said outright, but when you start to parse it out in terms of what it says about how Rayanne feels about herself and Angela, it's quite heartbreaking. Yeah. Like she really does. I think Amber said it way 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 back like the thing about how some people are in black and white and then you meet the one person who's in color like so that's right Ryan really really does not just love angela but admire angela for reasons that have never been entirely clear because when they speak Ryan is often in the sort of the older sister vibe of sort of i'm going to show you how it is angela but she's obviously just worships angela and like you said doesn't think that she's good enough to be friends with Angela certainly not good enough to be an Angela but in this moment she can pretend to be Angela a little bit more like she was doing at the play yeah and 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 be with Jordan and also sabotage her own real friendship with this person that she loves uh 
yeah, it's all it's a neat little package yeah. of, well, of sad, sad my, things. My note actually says, and so they fuck for what I presume are very complicated reasons on both sides, <laughs> which I think is what we just discussed. And then, Fair of enough. course, Brian films this. Um, yeah, of course, Brian would be in the wrong place at the wrong time to catch this. Yeah. Of course, Brian would be mortified by seeing it. Of course, he would not be able to keep his mouth shut about it and yeah. has to immediately run and tell Sharon the following day. Yeah, it's actually, I think, you know, we've identified a few. I think we've never called them this, but we, we should. My so-called life tropes. One is no one ever tells the truth and they all lie until like it's way past savable for them to do so. Yeah. Another is this thing where a lot of exposition, particularly in the second half of the season, has been done with people overhearing parts of conversations. The third major of my so-called life trope is Brian being exposed to information that he will then have to either safeguard or blab. Blurb out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, yes, I understand that what Brian has seen shocks him and perhaps he wants to share it, but... He's also perfectly capable of taping over that piece of the tape and handing it to Sharon and never saying a word. Yeah, absolutely. That is absolutely Except, an option, but it totally is not an option. It, it is a pragmatic option. It is not he he's perfectly capable of taping over that part of the tape. He is not capable of concealing that information because he's just being Brian. He's too fundamentally disturbed by it to he would never even be like he couldn't even begin to conceal that. He's yeah. not capable of acting naturally when nothing is wrong. <laughs> how would he do it now? You know, like fair point. Yeah, and especially given how Brian would feel about Jordan and about Rayanne and about their relationships with Angela, and you know, like I, I don't think he necessarily puts the tape in Sharon's hands for the right reasons, but it's, but he feels the need he, to unburden himself. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I think you're right. He can't not do that. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite little voiceover moments, because it's just so true, it rings in my head every time it happens in real life. When you call someone's name kind of loud and they don't hear you, it makes you feel really lonely. Yeah. You know? It's yeah. so true. Yeah, it, it's very true. And it happens a few times in this episode. Actually, it also, I think, foreshadows the the um, the dreams in the final episode of the series, season and series, which we will get to when we get there. Um, but yeah, that thing about now, now the connections are starting to fall apart to such a degree that they don't even hear each other anymore. You know, the, the, yeah. the, the lattice work is starting to break, break down, which we actually see in the very next scene, which is where Corey invites Angela to paint the sets. And Ricky is right there and invites himself along and is super excited. And Angela has somehow forgotten that four episodes ago, Ricky had a crush on Corey Halfrick. Yeah. Like it's just not in her head anymore, you know? Like, it's very clear that why Ricky would be into that, but Angela is just sort of, like, not dealing with it. And speaking of not dealing with it, neither are Jordan and Rayanne, who are avoiding each other and sort of just like, yo, whatever, uh, this thing happened. Although, kind like, kind of avoiding each other, but I feel like the fact that Jordan makes the effort to go up to her mm. and say hi, even though their conversation is really awkward and stilted, and even though they ultimately have nothing to say to each other and they go their separate ways, um, I felt that that was a nice moment. Like, it was a nice uh, way for him to acknowledge that something happened, that he's not ignoring her, that he's not going to be weird about it to yeah. her, even though it is weird. But like it there's a, a just a touch of nice humanity in mm -hmm. the in the gesture of saying a few words yeah instead of just kind of like for sure. making brief eye contact and taking off down the hallway yeah and i mean again jordan does seem to be evolving and i think the unspoken 
uh, message between both of them is, boy, we better never tell Angela anything about this. Yeah. But it is kind of sad now to look at the two of them as just two people who, on some level, don't think they deserve Angela Chase. Yeah. You know, that's what's united them now, is they're both like... What's so great about Angela? Why is everyone so obsessed with her? On one hand, she's the main character of the show, and she was certainly the one that I identified with when I was a teenager, so I, I get it. And on the other hand, as I think we've said before, as I watch the, the show over again, I'm also like, Angela, you kind of completely suck. <laughs> like, you don't completely suck. Like, obviously, she's she's a teenager. And I mean, when we, one of the things that I like about, you know, if we may wax our own car here, one of the things I like about this podcast is that when we go into our own diaries, uh, we have none of the poise or intellectual uh, understanding of even an Angela. Yeah. You know? Exactly. So it's like, okay, got it. They're young. <laughs> they fuck up. It's beautiful. And I, I should yeah, really I, stop I, being I so critical. totally identified with Angela, and I felt like I was Angela. And uh, Angela is like a, a thousand times more eloquent <laughs> yep. than I was yep. in my own personal voiceovers in, in my own head. <laughs> but you know for sure what can you do exactly so angela's gonna find out what happened because brian told and now everybody knows well okay so brian told and now everybody knows but i have to say in terms of discussing sensitive information and i you know longtime listeners of our show will know how much i admire and love sharon but having an extremely loud extremely fast conversation with delia fisher in the girls bathroom when there's 300 other girls in there about this event is not the way to keep that on the down low indeed <laughs> so uh, although it did seem like she was planning to tell angela at least if not the rest of the girls bathroom mm-hmm. you know population um she was planning to tell her anyway even if they hadn't run into her in the washroom yeah. so uh and i don't know i feel sort of torn about this, like about how I feel about uh, Sharon's decision to tell Angela. Yeah. Because on the one hand, uh, if, you know, if your partner's cheating on you or if you're, uh, you know, someone's done something terrible behind your back or whatever, you do want to know. You don't want to feel stupid. You don't want to feel like all your friends know and nobody told you and, and they let you live this lie that is like shitty and hurtful, of course. Um, on the other hand... It just happened, and I feel like there's some value to like seeing how things develop for at least a minute, yeah, or rushing in when it's not really your business. Well, forget that. It's it's, it's actually not anybody's business in this case. Nobody's cheating on anybody here. Exactly. You know, like. But it, but I mean, like, it's in the, obviously complicated from in, in or, the grand scheme of like teenage friendships and probably adult friendships as well. It it is like the worst thing that you could do to your friend short of like actually sleeping with their boyfriend is like sleeping with the guy that they were obsessed with for a long time and then broke up with under awkward circumstances and are definitely not over. Yeah. Like it is terrible, but, Mm -hmm. but it's also like not Sharon's business and not Brian's business and not anyone's business. And like, maybe, I don't know. Like, I feel like everyone could have, given it a minute to see yep. how that played out to see if Ran would have even talked to Sharon to sorry talked to Angela yeah herself after a certain point because Ran's also not great at keeping her mouth shut and is not great at concealing her own flaws and perhaps would have come out with it yeah anyway at which which would have been potent like hurtful but a lot better than finding about it from a third party yeah well that's the thing right so like Sharon 
obviously is very conflicted. She hasn't quite admitted to herself that she likes Rayanne yet, but she yeah. is friends with Rayanne. She She's totally also is. obviously friends with Angela. There could have been some value, and and it is quite a, a touching scene. It's a couple scenes from now where where Rayanne confronts Sharon and is like, "You just couldn't wait to tell, and you know you've broken us up finally." And and Sharon is like, honestly, like. A, you brought this on yourself, but also this isn't making me happy. And I think, you know, the first time I saw that episode, I was like, she's just talking about she's not happy that Angela's hurt. But I think she's realizing she's also not happy that Rayanne is hurt, that Rayanne is in this position. Yeah. But she's not happy about any of this. This is not good. You yeah. Know? It's bad for everyone. It's bad for everyone. But that all being true, it might have been, it might have behooved Sharon upon learning this to go to Rayanne and be like, Brian knows about this. I know about this. If Brian and I both know about this, realistically, a lot of people are going to be talking about this very soon. It might be in your best interest to go talk to Angela right now. Yeah, that's, you know? that is in fact what I think Sharon's first in- instinct should have been. Yeah. Because she is friends with Rayanne. Yeah. Like whether she wants to admit it or not. Right. Deep down. She's friends the, with Rayanne. They're friends. They like each other. Yep. And uh, yeah, and she should have given her a chance yep. to sort of redeem herself after this you know, misstep, no matter how hurtful, it's still always better when you can clean yourself than when someone else outs you as having done something bad. And so, you know, give her the chance. You like her. Mm -hmm. You want, you you don't want to see everyone unhappy. Yeah. 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 I do love that friendship so much. Um, So we talk a lot about lines on my so-called life that I use in real life and or love. I think my actual all-time favorite is when Brian tries to talk to Ricky and Ricky says, Brian, could you like pick a sentence and go with it? <laughs> That's a great one. It's, I, I can't even tell you how much I love that one. It's in my head forever. Um, so now Angela knows, and I guess it's interesting that this episode moves through the f- process of Angela finding out very quickly compared to say the gossip episode where it was more of a central theme. Here it's just like we need to get to the point where Angela knows. So she goes over to Brian's house. Brian, for whatever reason, listening to rock music, shirtless. Shirtless, yeah. And Angela comes in uh, to get the tape. I don't know why she'd want the tape, but Brian correctly points out that you don't want to see the tape. This is a thing that happened. Seeing it's not going to make you feel better. It is real. You don't need proof. It's going to make you feel worse. Three of your friends are telling telling you this happened. It happened. It's real. I mean, I can kind of relate to the morbid curiosity that grips you when you know, like where you, you want all of the details of something terrible yeah, for no good reason. Like, you know, it will only make you feel worse. You know, you will be more hurt and upset, but you just can't help yourself. It's like, looking Oh at an sure. Or whatever. Like you just can't look away from the horrible thing that's happening to you. Yeah. So you want every possible detail, but <laughs> he's right. She doesn't want to see that tape. Really. Yeah. She shouldn't see that tape. There's yeah. no reason. Yeah. Um, and she leaves the tape, which is good. Yeah. And uh, I'm still somewhat surprised the tape still exists at that point. But I guess we need to have the button later where Brian obliterates the tape in front front of Jordan, Jordan, who doesn't know any of this is happening. Apparently, everyone at school by that point knows about the tape, except for Jordan Catalano, who is like, what's on the tape? (laughs) When he comes up to Brian to just talk to him about tutoring. And Brian's like, fine, goddammit, here's the tape. But yeah, no. Look, tape, you can't erase the tape. It's the past. It's real. Ah, yeah, I, I, you know, I would call Brian overdramatic, but I'm pretty sure I would have done the exact same thing. Jordan Catalano, on the other hand, totally no oblivious. Totally oblivious. Beautiful, beautiful obliviousness. 
Um, one of the nicest scenes in the episode and maybe in the whole show is Rayanne going over to the Chase's house trying to find Angela, but getting Patty instead and Patty giving honest, genuine support to this girl who even five episodes ago she flat out loathed. Yeah. Yeah, um, that is a great scene. Yeah. It's very touching. And we find out later that it's because, partly because Patty herself once slept with a guy that her best friend yeah. was interested in. And so she can relate to Rayanne on this one point. Um, but I think she's softened quite yeah. a lot to Rayanne. And well, it's they're not, in the it's same not, caress. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but that, that, you know, Rayanne, I'm, and again, I'm not trying to be all judgy on Amber like I have been in the past, but Rayanne is someone who does need that stabilizing feminine figure in her life. I mean, we can talk about what she would need from a father figure as well, but like she clearly does need a lot of the things that Patty rep- do, do you feel like maybe the whole trio would be best served if they all just moved into the Chase's house? Like if Ricky had never left and Pat and then Rayanne just moved in, they might all be okay. Yeah, that would be perfect. Were... If they all just moved into the Chase no. household, then like Patty would get off Angela's back a little bit because Angela would suddenly be her like good kid, (laughs) her good teenager (laughs) as compared to the other two troubled teenagers. I mean, Ricky would still be the best kid, but you know, but Angela would be the unproblematic one compared to Rayanne. So it would would, like the pressure would be off Angela. Rayanne and Ricky would get what they need in terms of like the mothering that Patty desperately wants to give, but Angela doesn't want. It would be, it would actually benefit everyone if they all just moved in. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. So I guess like at this point, for all intents and purposes, everything's just gone to shit, right? Like Ricky is now. Everyone's been torn asunder. Everyone's been torn apart. And Ricky is genuinely angry at Rayanne, which he should be because what she did was really bad. You know, he's kind of pat like he's getting fed up with her now, which is nice because he used to just be sort of her enabler and her handler. He kind of reminds me of uh, Tony Hale on Veep, you know, like he was always the guy who was just following her around kind of with her bag. And now he's like, no, you fucking, you, this you was stupid. You really yeah. messed this up. And you messed it up because you have these, you know, perpetual problems that we've been talking about forever that you just kind of are not working your way through. And it's not, you know, I mean, it's not fair to put it all on Ram because she obviously does have substance abuse issues. But at the same time, like she's had opportunities to try to make these things better and she keeps dovetailing back down into self-destructive behavior um so i can i can certainly understand ricky's frustration it was also interesting for me that angela um for a while anyway seems to think that uh, rayanne and jordan are a couple now or could be like she's like i I wouldn't want to run into them together because angela still doesn't understand very much like sharon in the last episode doesn't understand sex outside the concept context of a relationship Yes. Like that's not a thing that exists in her world. If last week I proposed that maybe Sharon needs to learn how to masturbate, this would probably be the one where Angela needs to learn how to masturbate. So that when she wakes up from an erotic dream about Corey Halfrick, she can just have one off before school instead of creating all of this problems. <laughs> yeah, a million problems. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I feel it's, it, 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 I, I don't know. So Angela, instead of dealing with that appropriately, goes off to basically to get revenge. Yeah. So I've talked about how uh, they've kind of switched places in this episode. At this point in the episode, Rayanne is wearing, is literally wearing overalls, Angela style, and has straightened her hair, Angela style. Yep. And then Angela shows up in the stage crew area dressed as Rayanne. In 
braids in with braids. wavy-ish yeah. ish hair. And a lot of makeup. And, and then basically just goes bananas. Yeah. She totally goes off the rails. Yeah. Like just says, give me some booze and make out with me. Because, again, it's all very programmatic. She doesn't, this is what I kind of realized after the fact, she just doesn't actually understand any of what happened. She's just performing the behavior now. Yeah, and she doesn't clearly doesn't understand Rayanne. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Because she's just performing the most surface, like, yeah. imitation of things that Rayanne does, but, like, without any comprehension of the context or the motivation or the reasons why Ran is actually like messed up and sad. Mm -hmm. Like she doesn't, I think realize that Ran is sad. Yeah. Not just about what happened in this episode, but in general in her life, I don't think that she is aware of the fact that Ran is like often sad and lonely um, because she just doesn't see her in that deeper way. Yeah. And I don't know, like, does Rayanne see Angela deeply? Or is she just too in love with the idea of Angela? Like, I don't know no, how, I, how I, well those two really know I, each other on think, a deeper level. Yeah, when you said that, it kind of just twigged it off to me. It's like all of Rayanne's performative behavior about Angela at the beginning of the episode is kind of in the same way, where it's like, it's not very profound understanding. She's just sort of like, oh, Angela's this naive little kid, you know, and says weird dramatic things and i can just pretend to be that and and the first in the pilot episode i think it's it's sharon who says that people are saying stuff about angela like she worships ray ann graff and it's like she actually kind of does or did until this very moment where it's like Mm -hmm. she doesn't inquire very deeply into ray ann Yep. You know, she doesn't think about the possibility that ray ann could be wrong she doesn't think about the possibility that ray ann could be lying you know she just sort of follows Rayanne around and does what Rayanne tells her she should do to, you know, get the popular boy or kind of move forward in her social life and stuff like that. Totally. And she knows that Rayanne has a drinking problem and is aware of Rayanne's flaws slash issues in like a literal way. Yeah. But she's not, she hasn't taken the step to think further about what that means about the kind of, help that Rayanne actually needs. Needs. Yeah. Like I don't think that she thinks of Rayanne as a person who needs help on a deeper emotional level. Mm-hmm. Um like she's aware that Rayanne needs help to not drink, I guess. Yeah. But I like I, I think that she her uh, both of them put each other on a, a kind of pedestal that makes them yeah. incapable of seeing the uh things that the other person actually needs support Mm -hmm. with. So they're not able to really support each other. Like I think other characters on the show see each other much more clearly and much, much more deeply than those two. Um, Which is part of like the sort of thrilling mania of their early friendship is like that they, what they see in each other is this like opposite of themselves Mm -hmm. that is incredibly attractive and charismatic to them and they want that and they're immediately bonded and it's great. But like to take the next step to figure out who that person really is and, and the ways in which they're not the perfect image that you have in your mind uh, kills the fantasy. Mm-hmm. So it also kind of kills the 
romance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it, I mean there are competing views in my mind as to the value of the show only lasting as long as it did. Mm. Because with it only lasting 19 episodes, we basically get a complete arc for uh Rayanne and Angela that goes from this white hot, you know, first love phase to the destruction of their relationship and you and, and it seems very neat that it fits within these 19 episodes and that that's just sort of what happened to them. Mm-hmm. What that takes away from you is the longer term context of not knowing what happened later. Yeah. Like this episode sets up the Camille and Patty thing about how Patty, like you said, uh, slept with someone Camille was with um, and their relationship obviously recovered. And you could argue that within kind of traditional screenwriting, we're probably meant to intuit that that means something like that could happen with Rayanne and Angela. However, I don't think it could. I think their friendship really is over here. Like that's it. Yeah, well, because Camille and Patty are more like old Angela and Sharon in the sense that they are very similar to each other and probably had a very good but relatively normal friendship. And when I say normal, I just mean like not white hot. Yeah. Not like, oh, my God, this is the person that I see in color. Yeah. You know, like this, this crazy love that... Angela and Rayanne experience at the beginning that is bound to fizzle out because it's unrealistically intense. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it is, there will clearly be more obstacles for a friendship like that because coming down from a high that high, either you crash and burn or you just have to deal with the fact that then it becomes like a regular friendship mm-hmm. that requires work and effort and understanding and compassion and all these things that before there was just sparkly rainbows or whatever. Um, So yeah, so I feel like their friendship would have struggled to maintain itself in the long run, even without betrayal, Mm -hmm. but with it, it gives them an out from, from what would have become a a harder and harder relationship to maintain. I think I want, like I I don't have any analogous relationship in my own life, but I wonder if this relationship is really just an accelerant for both of them. Like it's just a transitional relationship that pushed them to a new place that they wouldn't have been at otherwise. Totally. You know, obviously for Rayanne, it's a very negative place. Like she doesn't exactly come out of this season in good shape, but you could argue that she may have finally learned lessons that will help her build a more stable sense of self and and a life angela obviously uh blossoms enormously over the course of this season in terms of her sense of herself and what she can do she also makes a lot of continuous errors and will continue (laughs) to do so um but you know maybe that's it maybe the the rocket fuel of their relationship was only required to do that to get yeah. them both to this place, and and they really would not be friends anymore after this. This would just be sort of again. I don't have a a similar anything like that in my own life where I was really only like white hot friends with someone for nine months or something, and then they were just gone. Like that that never happened to me. Uh, but I also don't think I've ever had any. Well, I've had a few of those white hot relationships, but they did sort of last. You know, they they continued to contribute. Mm-hmm. So after they stabilized, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about my own high school relationships and I definitely had a couple of close friends in high school that I was so intensely best friends with that like it could not possibly have been sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, and in one case, we kind of drifted apart over time. And in another case, we kind of drifted apart over a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. Basically, like, you know, she went to another 
city for university and slowly we started hearing less from each other etc but um but in both cases i feel like it would like had something like this happened it would have given us a tidy way to Mm -hmm. just cut it off and instead we kind of let it peter out right um but it was bound to peter out gotcha the, the people that I'm still in touch with from, I'm not in touch with a lot of people from my high school days, but the ones that I am in touch with are not the people that I was closest to at mm. that time. Um, like the ones that I'm still friends with are ones that are, you know, people that I was okay friends with at the time, or in some cases like barely knew and have reconnected <laughs> with later. But the right. ones that I was like white hot friends with, I'm not in touch with almost at all. Gotcha. So the one of the saddest things in the world to me is this very brief speech Rayanne gives where she was like she's like you lost nothing and I lost everything. Yeah, this which thing. is true and really really sad. Yeah, incredibly sad and very yeah, like you said it's it's he aside from characterizing Jordan as this guy that she never really had because obviously the truth of the relationship is coming out somewhat where they obviously had more of a connection than that. Yeah, it was it's a bit um, more nuanced. Maybe they yeah. weren't like a long-term couple, but she there was definitely something like a real connection there and, and you know, yeah. Undeniable. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's just really, again, it just kind of puts a bow on this whole thing of how Rayan sees herself and, and where she is at. And it's quite devastating before we get to the final scene of the episode. There is, there was actually quite a bit of movement on the Patty Graham, uh, Hallie Lowenthal Lowenthal thing. Yeah. um, Where Hallie and Camille meet. And yeah, and I mentioned like it her. briefly in the last episode because yeah. I skipped ahead a little. But yeah, Camille immediately takes a dislike to Hallie Lowenthal, immediately is obviously suspicious on yeah. Patty's behalf. And Patty's still trying really hard to be super cool about everything is like, what? Yeah. But really, Camille is like, no. <laughs> no. Well, she says, you know, that the problem is just make sure they don't. I don't know if I, I buy this whole thing. Uh, but the problem is that that. Uh, Camille's like, if they start to fight, that's a problem. That shows that they have some sort of passion in their relationship. And I'm like, no, they could just fight. Like, they could just not get along because they're very different personality types. But yeah, I'm pretty sure I've had fighty relationships with people Without where there, sexual was, there tension. was no sexual tension yeah. or, or no spark yeah. of romance. Yeah. Um, that happens. Yeah. But, uh, but maybe not to a person like Graham. Who knows? Yeah. And, but anyway, it all ends in a quite a, Nice scene where Graham is complaining quite a bit about Hallie and uh, Patty flushes the toilet on him while he's in the shower. Because <laughs> why not? Because, you why know. Why not scald somebody for potentially having an affair? I mean, exactly. f- why not, really? I mean, fuck that. Um, it all, so the episode ends in this this reading of the scene from Our Town, which is another one of these scenes that I remember when uh, when I was a teenager. A lot of my friends who were girls who watched the show, they just found this scene devastating. Like flat out devastating. I, you know, it's I. I can see why it's very dramatically uh, rich. It's pretty intense for yeah. sure. Okay. Yeah, definitely a scene where it like is too real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like what they're. Um, I mean, again, like our town seems like one of those cliche like plays that a high school puts on in the movies. Mm-hmm. Like I don't. I'm. It was never put on in my high school. I'm not familiar with it, um, but I feel like it comes up a lot. It's yeah. like an, a high school yeah. trope. It <laughs> like is a high school trope. We're doing our, our town. town. Yeah. Um, so Weird. yeah, so have I'm, high schoolers play dead people because that's a thing they would have insight about, right? Totally reasonable thing to yeah, do, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, but that scene is really, um, 
intense because uh, we kind of skipped over the scene where uh, Ricky confronts Angela about oh, her yes. crazy behavior yeah. and is sort of like, hey, can you imagine what it felt like for me when you suddenly started hitting on Corey, even though you know I liked him? And she's like, but I thought you got over mm-hmm. it. And he's like, who does that sound like, yeah. girl? Um, and, you know, and she's like, oh, I don't have to imagine because obviously that's how she felt about Ryan and mm-hmm. Jordan. And then uh, in this final scene, um, the direction to Rayanne is to like stop acting, but think about what it would be like to feel like this dead person. And obviously she doesn't have to imagine because that is exactly how she feels. Um, and yeah, it's, it's super intense. Yeah. And that sense, which I don't think I had any sense of when I was a teenager, but I become more and more aware of the older I get, which I guess Mm -hmm. isn't that surprising. The worst thing about anything ending is looking back on it and wondering if you entirely appreciated it while it was happening. For sure. You know, that is a hard lesson to learn. And I I will say that later in my life, I've also been very good at when something is amazing, being like, shit, this is amazing. You know, like trying to feel it as much as I can. But that, that thing where you look back on any portion of your life and are like, wow, that ended and I... I I squandered the chance to appreciate it. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's, that is... That is devastating. You know, that idea of like Absolutely. that door is closed and I will never get to appreciate that as it should have been in the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> so that's it for our girls and that's it for uh, for betrayal. Um, and so now we are going to <laughs> we're going to we're going to collect ourselves and then we're going to, to read our diaries from, oh, 21 years ago, because why not? Uh, I will go first. Um, Do it. And it's a bit shorter than last time. It is unfortunately one Less of our- Less of a whopper. Our popular romantic angst entries. Oh, yay. Those go. are my faves. Yes, we go. Here we go. One twelve ninety five. a Thursday. And again, I'm writing, apparently I started writing it. I guess that was my New Year's resolution for 95. I'm going to start writing the days of the week in my journal. Last night, I was able to crystallize a few things in a note to Amanda, which, on second thought, I should probably get back because it was fairly on. But anyway, the battle continues, and I feel like I've been hit by a cement mixer. Sandy is Sandy, totally swept off her feet every time Matt, not me, Matt looks at her. And she's fine with that, with being nothing to him, so long as she gets her dream formal. My only question is, what will she do the next day when she wakes up and notices that she's wasted three years of her life for one night? For that matter, what will I do the next day when I wake up and realize that I skipped out on my own formal just because I've spent five years being too pathetic to find anyone? Oh, tragic. Wait, were you considering not going to the formal because you didn't have a date? Yes. Because didn't we talk just earlier in this show about how nobody didn't go to dances because they didn't have a date? Yeah. We have talked about that on this podcast. And I did end up going to my formal with my best friend, Mark, which doesn't really count as a date. So that didn't end up happening. I mean, I actually had a boyfriend in my final year of high school who didn't go to my high school. And I didn't invite him to my prom, which was also called the formal. And uh, I went with my best friend, Rupa, as my date. There you go. I, I think this falls into a little bit what I was saying, which is just sort of only understanding things within certain packages in which they've been contextualized to you, which is like... I'm not convinced in January of 1995, I know you could go to your prom without a date. I would have been like, no, proms are where the couples go to celebrate the fact that they're couples and that they have one high school. Yeah, and then you get a photo. Yeah, with the person you're in love with right then. And you probably go to a hotel room after and have sex because you have sex with people you're in love with. And it was like, it was this whole category of knowledge where I was like, I don't get to partake in that because I have failed to put those things together in my own life. Yeah. I uh, went to a hotel room with like uh, ten of my friends, and we all got drunk. Yeah, no, that was it's not. Good times. That, I was too much too Brian 
and not enough ran for that to ever be a thing that would happen. It it was a very un. I mean, at that point, I was like almost nineteen years old because mm-hmm. I was like a little older uh, when I started grade one. So you know, it would have been like extra unreasonable for my parents to be like, "You can't go out after your prom with your friends." <laughs> like, <laughs> really? Like, I'm going to university in you know two and a half months. Like, mm-hmm. come on. But uh, but it was kind of uncharacteristic of them to be like, sure, spend the night in a hotel with a bunch of teenagers, right? G- getting high or whatever. Yeah, for sure. Oh, that just the about the university. I did forget to call it one of my favorite things in the episode where Brian is talking about how he sees himself really be very similar to Spielberg, but la- more, a lot <laughs> more of his work Tarantino. lately has been a lot more Tarantino. <laughs> Those words probably came out of my mouth <laughs> at some point in the year preceding the airing of this episode. So I loved it. That was also go. a very 1994. Sentiment. Oh, beautiful. Anyway, All and right. you said... Oh, boy. Boy, the angst continues. Good. All right. Christmas was okay. I got some nice stuff. Juggling balls, for example. I got some nice clothes. Actually, this vacation was like a major shopping spree time for me. I got a lot of goth clothes. Oh, Remember, that's a bring back to the previous yeah. uh, desire to go goth. That's great. Um, I hope in our last episode, you're just like, I am a goth. <laughs> Achievement unlocked. But remember, I was only going to do it for like six weeks. Right. (laughs) Anyway, I guess I did. Uh, I got a lot of goth clothes. My parents are mad at me. I thought we were making some progress, but then they turned around on me and ended up grounding me for New Year's. I spent it with them. Last night was Aggie's birthday party. I could barely convince them to let me go to that. I met Aggie's friend, Sonia, who reminded me of Pete. My dad thinks I'm misguided in my counterculture interests. He thinks I'm (laughs) self-destructive and depressed. I told them I want to see a psychiatrist. Wow. Well, that's great. Uh, Wait, so you told them you want to see a psychiatrist. So your response to them being like, you're misguided and depressed is like, well, then send me to a shrink. (laughs) Exactly. Let's get this party started. (laughs) That's precisely my logic. Oh, I love your parents so much. (laughs) They are wonderful people. (laughs) Just in case anyone gets an incorrect impression from listening to this podcast, they they are delightful people. They're the best. Genuinely the best. It's so interesting to see them through this lens. I only, I've, I've barely know them but i do know them and it's just like yeah it's fascinating to to contextualize them as i know them through how you teen cat would have seen them oh boy teen cat was a drama queen yeah absolutely absolutely marvelous um so that's that for this episode next episode is one of my all-time favorites it's basically the my so-called life equivalent of a bottle show it's the one where Rayanne gets handcuffed to the patty and graham's bed uh called weekend and of course it's also danielle's voiceover episode so it's really looking forward to this one absolutely marvelous so join us in two weeks for that you can leave comments for this episode at modernsuperior.com Don't forget to go to Facebook and uh, sign up for the uh, screening at the Royal on October 22nd. Go get your tickets because, again, this thing is going to sell out like crazy. It's going to sell out in minutes. Yeah, minutes. In fact, by the time this episode airs, it's It's too late. You have missed your chance. We we might have to, like, book additional venues and do, like, a parallel screening thing because, obviously, it's just going to be that big of a deal. (laughs) Uh, Thanks for listening, everybody. We really appreciate it. Let me go Sister in the sun, let me go on. Big hands, I know you're the one. Body and beats, I stain my sheets, I don't even know why. My girlfriend, she's at the end, she is starting to cry. Let me go on. Like I blister in the sun, let me go on. Big hands, I know you're the one.
presentation of the Modern Superior Media Network.